You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. And so now we, we shift to our James series and our time in the Word this morning. And again, if you're newer with us, we've been in a series through the New Testament book of James. We're now to chapter 4. And we're looking at just a handful of verses this morning, but oh, they are so practical and so relevant and so powerful, just like God's word is, but especially these verses here this morning. So as I was preparing for this, I was reminded of how relevant this is for my life. I've been reading and rereading these verses, not just because I was going to preach this morning, but also because this is really where I'm at in my life as well, but also my family. As I was thinking through our family we're all in a place where we need what we're going to be looking at here in James. Um, for those of you who don't know my family, this is our youngest daughter, Kalia. Kalia is going to grad school in um, Boise, Idaho, at Idaho State. She's seeking a graduate degree in speech pathology. And that's a really expansive field. There's a lot of different ways you can use that kind of a degree. So she's necessarily in this season where she's evaluating that, thinking about what are the possibilities, what are things going to look like when she's done a year from now. She's hoping to move back to Oregon, but she's necessarily in a time of transition. And then that brings us to our son. He is our middle child. That's Kylan. And that is his fiance, Emily, who is soon going to be our daughter-in-law because Kylan asked, and she said yes, and so they're going to be getting married in September, and everything is Operation Wedding right now in our family. Any of you who have been down that road totally know what that's about, but necessarily so. So many decisions and plans and things to figure it out, and that's exactly where they're at, which then brings us to our oldest daughter, Kiana, and this is her husband, Chris. Um, They've been married a couple years now, COVID wedding. That's a whole other story. And um, they're at a place in their lives where they're also in some transition. Our daughter, Kiana, um, is a medical assistant, loves it, and um, has opportunities for promotion and is just thinking through where that's going to go. And our our son-in-law, Chris, has a number of things that he's considering and checking out in terms of job, career, what have you. And they're in a season of transition. And then it brings us to Jamie Lynn and myself. We're in a season of transition. For the first time, literally in 30 years, we are not caring for or, or helping a dying parent finish their life. We, we have helped all of our parents finish now. And so we're in this season where we're on the precipice of becoming empty nesters again. We were empty nesters for three months. And we're about to become empty nesters again. And so we're necessarily thinking about what does this next season look like for us? How do we want to invest ourselves? What, what's this next season of life going to be like? But the reality is you don't have to be going through a transition for this passage to be relevant for you. Because the reality is all of us have to make plans. Even those of us who have an aversion to plans, that in itself is a plan, Right? We're all in this place of constantly having to reevaluate and consider. I mean, what are you going to do after the service today? Don't tell anyone. That's called a plan. You know, what are you going to eat for lunch? What are you going to eat for dinner? What's this next week hold for you? What are you going to do this summer? Are you going to take a vacation? Are you going to hang around? What's this fall mean for you? You know, we could just go on and on and on, introduce relationships into this calculus, all sorts of stuff. We're always confronted, really, with this reality of we got to figure things out. 
And none of us can see the big picture. And all of us make mistakes. And yet, here we are, trying to figure life out. Well, these series of verses we're going to look at, this passage, is right up your alley and mine. Because it's going to help us understand how we include and put God into our plans. And so, really, what's going to happen here is we're going to listen in. We're going to overhear a conversation that James is having with, with this community, with this church. And we're going to see how he responds. And he actually ends up confronting this conversation and correcting it, and necessarily so, as we'll see. So this is the passage. It's James 4, 13 through 17. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, there is so much swimming around in this passage, but there's, there's four spiritual realities that we're going to consider together. Four things we need to recognize and then four things we need to remember. And this is captured in your sermon notes for those of you who want to, want to take those. But he starts this passage really very passionately and very confrontively. Sometimes when we eat, read our English translations, it's just one of the dynamics of translation is we lose some of the effect or the force of, of what we're actually reading. This is James coming up to proverbially, a conversation that's going on, and him grabbing someone by the shoulders and saying, listen, get this, understand, hear this. You have got to tune into this. There's passion, and there's intentionality, and there's kind of this in-your-face emotion that he's expressing here. And he's speaking to this. And it's this reality that sometimes takes place where we think we have more control over our life than we really do. Because look, he reminds them that your life is like a mist. Jamie and I, as many of you know, run just about every day, and we take a number of routes through our neighborhood, but invariably we go down to the Spring Water Trail as part of our, part of our trail, part of our route, and there's this one guy who we constantly see, and it's like that. When you're out in your neighborhood, whether you're walking your dog or whatever, if you do that over time, you get to know people. You get to recognize people, and you get to understand or appreciate the patterns of certain people. And there's this guy who's always on the trail, it seems like, ahead of us, and he's vaping. And he'll take a vape and, and then, you know, he'll exhale and then it's just, it's instantly gone. And when James says that our life is like a mist, that's what comes to my mind. That's my frame of reference. In the big picture, our, our lives are not very long. And one of the points he's making here is how much control do you really think you have over your life? Because at the end of the day, it's not much. By way of example, can you control the weather? Are you the person we thank for the wettest spring in our history? Will you please stand up and identify yourself? We have, we have some words we like to have with you. Or are you the person who ordered the 99-degree day? We'd love to give you a hug. Just no more, please, right? So how much can we really control? 
can't control the weather, can't control what other people think, can't control how other people drive. You know, you fill in the blank, can't control, can't control. But we think we can. And what James is saying here right out of the gate is you overestimate how much control you really have over your life. And there is an arrogance that comes with that that we'll steer into here in just, just a bit. But that's, that's really where he's going with this. And the antidote to that is really to remember who the Lord of our life really is. That little practice we did two weeks ago. Take your hand, point up in the sky. And some of you are going, I ain't doing that. I'll do it anyway. <laughs> Raise your hand, point up in the sky. Say, God. God. Now point to you and say, not. God. Right? I tend to forget that at times with how I run my life. And so it's a necessary reminder that he is the Lord of our lives. Now, you'll notice in that passage, and I left it up deliberately for a little bit, that we just transitioned from, it said, if the Lord will, wills. He says, you know, this is how you should talk. Now, please understand, that is not an incantation, okay? So maybe you've been around someone like this. I hope you haven't, but maybe you have been around someone who, you know, pass me the ketchup. Well, if the Lord wills, I'll pass the ketchup. No, it's, what is, that's goofy. That's not what he's saying. This is not magic words or a magic formula, but it is an indicator of the heart, and that's the point here. Their hearts are not aligned with God's because God's not included in their plans. Life is pretty much all about them. And so because we're different personalities, we're going to hear this differently. And so one of the questions that this passage begs then is, is it okay to plan? Should we make plans? And the answer is, of course, absolutely we should. God has a plan. In fact, many. And God's plan is going to happen, regardless of what we do to oppose it or not align with it. So yes, we plan because God plans. And there's, there's a bent that we all have by personality. And some of you, this is music to your ears because you're the planners and you know who you are. There will be an itinerary. There will be a destination. Yes, as a matter of fact, I do know what I'm eating for lunch today. Thank you very much. And I do know what I'm going to do after that. And I do know how many vacations I'm taking this summer. So just in the spirit of honesty and transparency, who are our planners in the room? Yeah, don't be shy. This is not a shaming exercise, okay? Yeah, guilty as charged, right? Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm in your camp. I'm a planner by nature. And it, you know what's fun? Whenever I ask a question like that is to watch you and those of you who are sitting next to each other, the little elbow, you know, starts to happen. <laughs> raise your hand. And, the, and because we're planners, of course, we're going to raise our hand, right? But planners struggle with certainty. And this is why because I'm a planner. I totally get this. I make plans, and then God interrupts them. And that is not okay. Because I have a plan. And again, these are all generalities we're talking about here. And there's a spectrum of this, right? Of those of us who are real planners and those of us who are poser planners. But all that being said, there is this attitude we can have where we're indignant, where we're offended, where we're frustrated, when our plan gets interrupted, our time gets interrupted, our agenda gets interrupted. And the reality is, if God really is the God of the universe, 
then he has a blank check to interrupt your and my plans whenever he wants to. Because if that's true, we even need to change our language. God never interrupts our plans because he's God and we're not. But there's another bent that we can have here. And just like we could call planners by other less flattering names, we will be kind and use a different name here for this. But we have our options open people who are also in the room. Any options open people? Uh-huh, and I know there's more because by your very nature, you're keeping your options open and you're not raising your hand. I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait to see what's... So this is a continuum, right, of bent as well. We have options open people who would not make a plan if their life depended on it. They're, the plan is there is no plan. Let's just see what happens. Let's see how it goes. And then on, on that spectrum, there's our options open people who, they do make a plan eventually, but they have to consider all the options before, you know, they really need to do their, before they can really do something. Okay, that's fine, but your struggle isn't going to be certainty. Your struggle is going to be uncertainty. Because you can be so concerned about keeping your options open that it leads to paralysis. And the amazing thing about what James is saying is this is remarkably balanced, what these scriptures are saying. For those of us who are planners, there's a necessary humility that needs to come with that. Humility for the confident. For those of us who like to keep our options open and don't like to make a plan necessarily, there's confidence for the humble. Yes, make a plan, but be willing to modify and adjust it at the end of the day. But he also speaks into this, that we can overestimate our time and that we need to remember the brevity of our life. That's that whole analogy with, with the mist. And again, this isn't too far behind this illusion of control that we think we have over our lives, life is so unpredictable. We think that, you know, things are fine. We got plenty of time to live our lives. And then you get a health scare. Or someone you love now is waiting on a test or a scan. Or there's a loss in your life. Or you have a near miss in traffic. You fill in the blank, but we get these unwelcomed reminders that life is shorter than we can think. Yesterday was our messenger family reunion. Happens annually, and I don't get to go everywhere year, but got to go this year. And in particular, I was asked to come and to pray for our mealtime. That is kind of an honor that has fallen to the oldest messenger male. And we have a big clan. I mean, when everybody comes to our reunion, it's, it's a lot of people. It's huge. We have a big family on my side of the family. And there was a, a smaller than normal gathering yesterday, and that was fine. People were busy and just what have you. But the reason I prayed yesterday is because I'm the second oldest male left in our family. And I'm 25 years old. I mean... <laughs> I'm not quite sure how that works, but it, but it works. So, yeah, denial. You're all saying, yeah, denial. Yeah, I know. But that was sobering to me. I looked around, and my dad's gone. And one of his sisters is there. And there's another aunt, another one of his sisters that's still alive, but that's, 
that's the end of that generation. And there were a lot of people conspicuously gone from this reunion yesterday because they're gone. And it seems like yesterday they were there. And I have a cousin who was at this reunion yesterday who earlier this year had a stroke, and she isn't not much older than I am. And she was walking around with a cane, and we were just talking about some of the realities that we're talking about here this morning because she was asking, you know, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And so we were talking about that, and this is very much on my mind anyway. And she said, you know, when they brought me home from the hospital after my stroke, it took three people to help me get across the room because of my paralysis. And she said, but you know what? I can now walk on my own. And she's still paralyzed on one side, but she said, I can talk, I can dress myself, I can feed myself, and I can walk around without help. I am so grateful. I thought, wow, what perspective. She has every reason to be bitter, every reason to feel like she's entitled, and she lives exactly the opposite. How often do we focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have? And that family is one of the necessary ways we move from living this entitled, prideful life that's being talked about here in this passage once again to a life of gratitude and a life that's rich and good. It's why Moses in Psalm 90 says, teach us, O Lord, to number our days. It enables you to be aware of God's presence, but also to be present, to live every day to the fullest. Is that you? Is that me? Because this pride also shows itself in our language. He talks about these business people boasting, bragging about what they're going to do. And the stuff they're up to is not good. And part of what's going on here is an arrogance of overimportance. See, we have this bent to overestimate how important we really are. You know, in fairness, we also can underestimate our value as well. But the context here is about pride. It's about overestimating our value. You know, I was reminded of this as I was reading in the Old Testament. I'm reading in 2 Samuel. And uh, for those of you who remember this history in, in Israel's history, so one of David's son, Absalom, who was very charismatic, evidently good-looking, attractive, charismatic personality, leader, and um, he eventually overthrows his dad, overthrows King David. But in the lead-up to that, he knows that you know, God has blessed him, and he's good-looking, and people want to follow him. And, and so he gathers around him 50 people, 50 guys, to run ahead of his chariot to announce his arrival wherever he goes. feels a little arrogant, doesn't that? That feels a little off, because it is. It's profoundly arrogant. It's profoundly prideful. Even in that day and age, they'd go, what is that? Because of how he viewed himself. And you see that kind of foreshadowing, and you go, wow, that's not going to end well for him. And it does not. Because that arrogance carries him to decisions that literally destroy his life. Well, my friends, Thankfully, we don't have chariots these days and 50 people running ahead of us announcing our presence, right? We have this. 
What is social media all about? 50 people don't run ahead of your chariot. They, they follow your every move. And so life, in many ways, becomes all about how many followers do you have? Are you an influencer? Why aren't you an influencer? Do people repro, repost what you do? How many likes do you get? How many views do you have? And it creates this anxiety, this treadmill that you're constantly on, concerned about what other people think of you, and I have to have the right this and the right that, and no. <laughs> We don't have 50 of us running in front of a chariot. We have thousands of people running after us. Now, again, this is not one of your pastors railing against the evils of social media. Social has some profound blessings and great things about it. But it is designed, unchecked, to promote arrogance. We're so concerned about what other people think. What about what God thinks? What about what God thinks of you and me? Colossians 3.12 says, but he chose us. He chose us. He loves us. He values us. Not because we're so great, but because he's great. He sees us in all our brokenness. And he offers to rescue and redeem and repair that in us and to make us into the people that we always were intended to be. And so when I remember that therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, as Colossians says, at the end of the day, quite honestly, if I focus on my true identity in Christ, in what Jesus says about me, it doesn't matter what you think about me. I'm chosen. I'm holy. I'm created to have a, this distinct, incredible relationship with God. And I'm dearly loved. Doesn't matter what people post about me. Doesn't matter what people say about me or even think about me. What matters is what God thinks. That's pretty powerful. And with that comes confidence and humility. We have to remember the context of our life. Remember that God and not it's really important to keep that in mind because we can live at times like the universe bends to our will, that the world revolves around us. We get this entitled attitude. And what's so scary about this is that it's destructive. The reason, one of the reasons why James speaks so strongly in his language here and says that is evil is because it will consume us and destroy us from the inside out. That's what selfishness ultimately does. And I have this vivid example that's just personified in my mind because I've seen it over and over again. Jamie and I have been watching some old episodes of Law and Order on Peacock, and they have this commercial that just keeps scrolling through. And every time it comes on, we just start to snicker. We start to laugh because it's just, uh, it's unbelievable. So there's this guy who starts his day, and clearly he's arrogant, self-consumed, narcissistic. He gets up and he's walking down the hallway and he brushes by this guy who's disabled and almost knocks him over and gets to the doors and flings the doors open and kind of looks around like Absalom waiting for his 50 people to show up and, you know, steps out the door. The door closes and it closes right in the face of this disabled gentleman, you know, and he's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And then this guy walks across all these letters and parcels and mail that's been dropped by a mail carrier. Evidently, she walks her route. She dropped her mail bag. And so he just walks literally through them looking at his phone, just completely oblivious of what he's doing. She looks at him like, what are you doing? You just walked through it. What are you doing? 
<laughs> and then... And then he comes to this intersection and doesn't look at all. He just walks right out into traffic and is looking at his phone. And, um, and then this Volkswagen with this family of four stops and, you know, they just almost hit him. And he looks up and goes, you know, and is mocking them and then walks off. And it's a Volkswagen commercial about brake assist. <laughs> Pretty effective commercial. I remember it, Right. But can I just be honest in the spirit of transparency and authenticity? I wish that car didn't have brake assist. <laughs> Man, dude, hit the pedal. I mean, do us all a favor, you know? But here's my brokenness aside here. But here's the reality. The reason this is so destructive and so dangerous is because it's blinding. Everybody can see it but the guy. And you do not want to be that person. You just don't. Not just because of how it affects other people, but because of what it robs you of. It robs you of the very life and fulfillment that you were created to have. And by the way, you do not want the God of the universe opposing you. Do you remember this? verse from Sean's message last week. If you haven't listened to that message in this passage prior to this, you've got to go back. It was a phenomenal message. But this was one of the verses. But he, God, gives us more grace. It's how we fight the selfishness and pridefulness. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. We have a choice. We can live in humility or we can be humiliated. And it's not necessarily saying that God delights in humiliating people, just the opposite. He has tried to rescue us from that by his death, burial, and resurrection so we don't have to settle for that and live like that anymore. But the reality is, if you live a prideful life, that eventually is going to come back to you. And you're going to pay the price for that. And if that wasn't enough, look at what pride blinds us to, not just our own brokenness and selfishness, but it blinds us to these opportunities to live the very life that we're actually ironically looking for. It says at the end of the passage, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And this, this is a good base definition of what sin is. In part, it is omission. It is not doing the good things that we know we can and should do. But in this context, this is about that they are so self-focused, self-absorbed, self-important, they're missing opportunities to be a blessing to other people. Which just really begs the question of what's been running through this entire passage is, so what, what really is the core problem here? So many of you know that my my dad was a construction superintendent, so we would move around from city to city every three to four to five years. And when I was a little kid, we lived in a city called White City, which is just outside of Medford. You may or may not have heard of it, and that's okay. We kind of lived out in the country. Not a lot of people around, but it was a great place as a little kid to run around on five acres. But my birthday came. And so my mom threw a birthday party for me, and she invited my six friends from school. And the invitations went out, and my birthday came, and table was set with, you know, decorations and a cake and what have you. And I'm so excited. And any moment they're going to come through the door and 10 minutes go by and no one comes through the door. And then half an hour. And then an hour. And no one came. Do you know why? It's because they forgot. You ever been forgotten? 
Ever been on the receiving end of that? Now capture for a moment how that feels. And that's what God feels like when we forget about him. That is the heart of what runs through this passage, is this is a community of people who have forgotten God in the daily rhythms of their life, and they have made life so about themselves that they are completely missing him. And what does God say to his people for the sake of relationship and intimacy over and over and over again in his word? Remember, remember me, remember. Are you remembering God in the daily rhythms of your life? The amazing thing about this God is as much as we can all identify with that kind of hurt to be forgotten, he still pursues us. That's why it says he gives us more grace because when we didn't deserve his grace, when we didn't deserve his love, when we time and time again have forgotten about him, he still pursues us and calls us back to a life of purpose, which is where we're going to end our time in the Word this morning. What is your purpose? It's the purpose of your life and mine. I, just, I couldn't resist first hour, and I won't this hour. It reminds me of Top Gun Maverick. In that movie, Tom Cruise is talking to his friend and his boss, and he's at a defining moment in his life where he's trying to figure things out, much like all of us. And he makes this defining moment statement, and he says, being a fighter pilot isn't just what I do. It is who I am. Is your identity and mine really distilled down to what we do, to a career, to a relationship, to a marriage? Or do we have a deeper identity that underlays all those things? And the answer is, yeah, we do. It's talked about many places in God's Word. But God reminds us of it here. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us. You were created and I was created. The purpose of our lives is to know God and to enjoy him forever and then to help others do the same. That is the purpose of our life. And we do that by remembering God through the rhythms of our daily lives. And one of the ways that we introduce people to this amazing God is through Johnny and friends. This is a camp that we get to be a part of that ran this last week. There are some pictures here from it. In fact, we believe so much in this that we, we really focus on this as a short-term mission opportunity for us as a church family. So we had three people go to this camp, um, Jay and Diane Hadley and uh, Donna Libby. And they were representing us and serving there. And what Johnny and Friends is, is, if you don't know, Johnny Erickson Tata many, many years ago became a quadriplegic in a tragic accident. And out of her 
situation, she chose to use that as a platform to proclaim the goodness of God and to serve other people. And so she and her organization go around the nation and set up these camps for families that have been affected by a disability. And so there were 30 families that have been affected by a disability at this camp. And they basically go away for a week, and there's something for everyone and the entire family. And so the Hadleys were there. Donna was there serving. And Terry Stetzer, is one of our crew, was there. Um, John Hardesty, who is up here on the base, he and his wife, Amy, um, they have an organization called D31, which one of the many things they do is they put on parkour clinics for, for kids. And so this, what many of these pictures are is the parkour clinic that they put on for the kids at this camp. Um, Vinny Sylvia, who's one of our folks here, he went down there and he's a hairstylist. And so he styled hair for free. And I mean, it was just this beautiful picture of taking opportunities to be a blessing to, to others. And quite frankly, it's inspiring to me. And I hope it is to you because we're going to do it again next year and we're hoping that more of you will be able to join in on that. Because the purpose of our lives is to enjoy God, to know him, and to help other people do, do the same. Because Jesus isn't just our savior, He's our example, but he's also our empowerment. He gives us the ability to do just that. So I'm going to invite our worship team to come, and we're going to respond in music worship. And if there's a big idea that I want to encourage you to take away from this passage today, with all the ground we've covered, it's this. Include God in your plans. And that's going to mean different things to us individually. For those of us who know God, it means looking for him in the rhythms of our day. It's so easy to go through your day and to come to the end of the day and you never saw him at all because you weren't looking for him. But to see him and to see his work, and I'm going to pray that blessing over you in just a minute. But there may be some of you who you know about God, obviously, because you're here, but is he your God? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Have you invited him into your life? We want to give you the opportunity to do that too. But let's bow our heads together. Close your eyes. And just between you and God, how will you include him in your plans today? Maybe for some of you, including him in your plans means making him your God, inviting him into your life. All you have to do for that to happen is for you to want that and then to ask him, Lord, please come into my life. Please be my God. Lord, I thank you that you pursue us, you come after us, you're pursuing us once again this morning. And yes, there are days that we can go through our day completely focused on ourselves and missing opportunities to love and give and serve others and to enjoy you and experience you. So would this not be one of those days? Would this be a day where we see you and experience you and follow you and respond to your spirit? 
Your love is so great for us. Would we recognize that? And would we respond to that now? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.